Well, if you can find your way back to your seat, we'll get started. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is T.A. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, as we begin our time, would you just pray with me? Father, we come before you. Um, and God, we just think of how many times we open up your word and, and we feel inadequate or unable to understand or incapable of change. And God, as we come before your text this morning that is on suffering, uh, how much more does it, do we struggle when we open up your word seeking to understand, seeking to be changed? And so, Father, I just ask this morning as we open up your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would just do a mighty work here today. God, that you would do things that align with your purposes and your faithfulness. Um, would you do things in our marriages, in our friendships, um, God, in our parenting, uh, Lord, in our physical bodies and minds? Um, God, would you just move this morning in ways that we don't expect? Would I pray that I would be faithful to your word this morning? Um, Lord, just to be just asked to do your work here. Uh, amen. If you've got a Bible, uh, open it up to Romans 8. We've been in Romans 8 for the last few weeks, um, and knowing that this week was a holiday week, and if you've missed some weeks, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to um, the last several weeks, particularly the last two here in Romans 8 that Tim has taught. Um, they are so incredibly valuable. Um, over, really over the last several months, we've been in this section in Romans 6 through chapter 6 through 8 that uh, Paul has been working towards explaining this truth that all who are justified by Christ have new life in Christ. And in Romans chapter 6 through 8, he's unfolding what that looks like. Particularly in chapter 8, he's unfolding how the Holy Spirit is working within that. And one of the things um, that's important as we talk about the subject of, of suffering is to truly know some of the doctrinal truths that Tim laid out earlier uh, in the past few weeks. And because uh, our suffering is critical and hinges on us understanding some of those truths. Um, Tim said this about those doctrinal truths that these are all things that the Father has initiated, that the Son has secured and that the Holy Spirit is currently applying uh, in our lives. So our text today is on suffering, and maybe you caught that last week as Tim was finishing the last verse that he covered. I uh, was verse 17. I don't know if it made your head kind of pop up and want to raise your hand and ask some questions, but it says, um, in verse 17, it says, Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I don't know if you heard that and you went, wait, 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 wait. If indeed we suffer with him, what, is, what does that mean? Um, we're going to try to take a look at that in a little bit more depth uh, today. Paul takes a little bit of time here in Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, 
to explain what he means by that. And so let's read the text, then I'll explain where we're headed this morning. Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the fruit of the, have the, spirit, have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is, is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait before it with patience. Here's what I want to do uh, with our time today. I want to look at this text twice. We're going to look through it once, and we're going to look at some of the foundational truths that Paul lays out, and then we're going to recycle and come back to the beginning, and we're going to look at six promises that God makes to you in the midst of your summer, in your, in your suffering. Um, six promises that we can hold on to in the midst of that suffering. So here's the thing. My goal this morning is to not answer the question, how do you get through your suffering? Or what do I need to do to get through my suffering? I'm not even going to be able to answer necessarily completely why we suffer. What I do want to do is I want to put our feet and make sure our feet are in the right place. I want to make sure our eyes are fixed on the right things, and I want to make sure that our hope that we are trusting in is in the right truth. When it comes to suffering, there really are two things that we do. Uh, the first is we simply hug. We, we meet each other in the, meet, in the midst of our hurt and our pain. Uh, a lot of times there's, there's simply not words to be spoken. Some of the life circumstances that we walk through take our breath away. So we hug and we're present with each other. But here's the thing. As we hug, we got to have a place to stand, right? We got to find solid ground. Because if we don't, the ground that we hug on, if it begins to give way underneath us, all the hugging in the world doesn't seem to help. Our, our hug all of a sudden becomes very thin, very shallow, um, very sentimental in its value. Hugging on ground that gives away doesn't work for the long haul. And so what happens is then we need to feel like we got to take some action to, to fix some things. So there's got to be a place to stand while we hug. I mean, rock-solid, biblically sound foundation to stand on. That supportive hug is only beneficial when we are trusting in something other than ourselves. We are trusting in something other than our current circumstances. When we experience suffering, I think most often the first things that come to our mind in the midst of pain and frustration is usually, why would you do this to me? Why now? Or maybe you're, you've been a believer for a long time and you've gone through this cycle a few times and, and you want to ask the question, 
okay, what's the meaning of my suffering currently? Uh, the question I want us to be asking today is, within this text, how does Paul help me suffer well? The secondary question, and this is why I encourage you to go back and listen to the, the teachings, particularly on Romans 8, is this. In the midst of our suffering, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to apply the truths that he's laid out before this? So let's look at the text. Um, and I want to point out two of the foundational truths that, that Paul shares that are solid foundation for us to stand on. And the first, uh, in order to see it, we got to back up a couple of verses into verse 14. Um, so if you back up to verse 14 with me in Romans 8. Paul says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Foundational truth number one is the doctrine of adoption. We have to believe in this. Knowing in, believing in our adoption as sons is absolutely critical to dealing with whatever suffering we experience in life. Tim Keller uh, wrote a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And within it, he makes this statement. He says, the way that you live now will be completely controlled by what you believe about your future. The way that you live right now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. Trusting in, believing in our adoption leads to us to be able to stand on some solid ground. To know Simply, what is to come in the future? In the midst of our suffering, it, it allows us to trust and to rest in our future, even though the current circumstances around us might be falling apart. It allows us to say, yes, it is worth it. It brings comfort to you in the midst of whatever it is that you're suffering through. This is the very reason Paul has the confidence to pen verse 18. When he's able to say, for I consider that suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. You got to understand that this statement comes with some clout from Paul. I mean, Paul, Paul is known as a man who has been beaten, who has been stoned, who's been left for dead, who's been imprisoned, who's been shipwrecked. And Paul is able to say, hey, all of these things... They're not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Paul says present suffering and our future glory, Paul says those two things are not incidental to one another. They don't just exist in our world. They are intricately connected to each other. So we must suffer with him in order to be glorified with him. Paul says because you know what? That future glory it's not even worth comparing. We've got to do one to receive the other. Friends, our suffering, our present suffering, is not incidental to your future life 
in heaven. It's not accidental in the way that you're living right now. It is purposeful. It absolutely is purposeful. Trust him within that. Uh, we get lost so quickly in our mind with the thoughts of suffering invades our world, whether it's directly with us or immediate friends and family, and we think, gosh, why? He, was, he is so good and such a faithful follower. Why does he have to be the one that gets cancer? Why is this person the one that goes and gets in the car accident? Why is this life taken? God, haven't I been faithful and, and true to you? Why am I dealing with cancer? It's so easy to lose sight of our adoption in the midst of our suffering. But we have to know and trust the fact that it is purposeful and it does not change our adoption. In verses 16 and 17, you need to see that Paul connects it to our status as adopted sons. If you remember, Tim laid this out last week, that it, Paul is intentional in calling it sons, not sons and daughters, but sons because of the inheritance that the firstborn child receives. That we receive all of God's inheritance. We are assured of our status as children of God and our inheritance with them by the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives currently and our perseverance in whatever suffering comes our way. If you, um, if you follow the Lord, if you're a believer, a Christian, I want to ask you a couple of tough questions. Uh, if Jesus suffered, did you feel like your life would be any different? And if you hear that and you say, well, no, of course I understand suffering is a part of my life, then I want to ask you, how do you think about your suffering? Do you just try to cope with it? Do you try to push it down and, and bite your lip and kind of present a fine or a strong disposition outwardly? You know, walk into church and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? You say, I'm fine. Big smile. When the reality is it's not. You know, has... Has this suffering made you bitter or angry? Angry at God? Has it made you feel hopeless or just simply numb to the world around you? You see, Paul brings this up because he knows that it's vital for you as children of God, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to have right views of your suffering, to have right views of your trials, to have right views of your tribulations, to have a solid foundation because these are not incidental to the Christian life. They're not accidental to the Christian life. They're a part of God's purposes for your future. You got to trust in the midst of these moments that he is shaping you as a child of God. So stand on that ground. Stand on the ground of your inheritance as a child of God. It's not worth comparing to your current circumstances because you are an adopted child of God. So open your arms to it, persevere within it, and stand in hope. We're going to talk more about hope here in just a moment. The second foundational truth that I want you to see is Paul gives it to us by providing us bigger perspective um, on the bigger picture. Perspective on the bigger picture. There you go. Uh, and that is he brings the gospel of God's redeeming love into this context of suffering. 
He does it in uh, verses 19 through 22, and he puts it in a global context. And he brings meaning to this foundation that we need to stand on um, of God's redeeming love. In verse 19, Paul says, For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Paul says, hey, look, all of creation groans. And look at the way he describes it. It's bondage to decay. Creation has no choice either. It, it is decaying. It will break down and things will go wrong. Just as in you and I, our bodies break. Our minds break. Marriages break. Things are corrupt. Paul says creation is subjected to futility. It's subjected to bondage. It's subjected to decay. It's a groaning and suffering. All these words Paul is piling on describing all of creation. He wants to put it in a universal scope. And Paul not only brings things into that universal scope by talking about creation, he also brings the gospel into suffering. And it's, it's small, but I want you to notice it. It's in verses 20 and 21. Paul says, for creation was subjected to futility. It was. Okay, that, that three-letter word, was subjected to futility. So it happened. This thing that we see, the world, the suffering, the decay, the corruption, the bondage, the groaning, it happened in the past. And what he's referring to when he says was is the fall of Adam and Eve when sin entered the world. Genesis 3, they ate of the fruit, and God comes in, and he <sighs> declares what he's going to do to Satan in bringing Jesus to stomp and crush his head, right? And right after that, Genesis 3, 16 and 17, he says to Adam and Eve, he says this. He, says, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains, and you will bear children with painful effort. And then he looks at Adam. He looks at the man, and he says, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by the means of painful labor with all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, you are dust, and you will return to dust. Paul puts our suffering in the context of creation as a reminder of this. God is sovereign, and he will redeem the suffering and the sinfulness of this world. There's a point where it happened. Creation was subjected to it. And then look at verse 21. He declares creation itself will also be set free. Paul points out creation and says, yes, it's cursed. But don't you forget Jesus. Don't you forget the gospel. Genesis 3, uh, 17 says, the earth will produce thorns and thistles for you. Talking to Adam. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? I will take those thorns and thistles that were for you, and I will wear them on my head because you will be free. This earth will be free. Paul doesn't bring 
creation in to confuse us. He brings this beautiful picture of what God is doing. There's a point in the future where all this is going to come to an end. It won't be like it is today anymore. It won't be devastation. It won't be disease. It won't be mental illness. It won't be depression. It won't be cancer. It won't be broken relationships, broken marriages. It'll be over. And Paul says that creation, it was subjected in the hope. And he goes on talking about us, and he says in verse 24, he says, Now in this hope, you and I, we were saved. This is the same hope, the very same word that Paul uses in Romans 5. If you remember that message, if you'd missed it, go back and listen to Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says this in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that the afflictions produce endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because of of God's love that has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope is not the way that we think of hope. It's not something that we wish for. It is an absolute certainty. This is done. We just have to wait for it. It's the same hope in Romans 5 as in 8. And when Paul says that we are suffering, it's the Holy Spirit who is applying what God had initiated and what Jesus had secured on the cross. And what it does for you and I is... It allows us to say, yes, okay, God ordains our groaning, our suffering, but it's producing in something in us an eager anticipation and a hope that we are saved. When the gospel comes to us, it comes as spectacularly good news, doesn't it? At least I hope it does. Your sins are forgiven because of Christ. Righteousness is provided in Christ. By faith alone, you can be justified. By faith alone, you have eternal life. By faith alone, we can have fellowship with the living God. This is glorious good news. And yet Paul, in verse 23, goes on. He says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting our adoption. We also, we also who have the Holy Spirit, we also who are united to Jesus, we also whose sins have been forgiven, we also who will have eternal life, we also who are totally justified, we also who are so loved by God that he absolutely works everything out for our good, we also groaning for redemption in this body, this pain-ridden body. We also, in hope, know we were saved, and we eagerly wait for it with patience. What Paul is driving us to is the realization that the Christian life is fundamentally a life of endurance and faith. Because we're never going to see all of what God has for us in this life. 
we may get small little glimpses of it, little foretastes of how good he is. But the reality is until he returns, we will not see the fullness of all that he has for us. Therefore, we live in hope. So the way that you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. What do you believe about your future? The gospel of God's redeeming love and his promise of our adoption are an absolute anchor for us that we can anchor ourselves within in the midst of whatever God, whatever the world throws at us, whatever suffering comes our way. In the midst of our suffering, we also hope and wait eagerly. Let me um, shift gears and go back to the top of verse 20 or verse 18. We'll come back through. And, and I just want us to see six amazing promises that Paul lays out for you and I as we suffer. The first is that God will reveal his glory. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul knows God's promise. That after this time, this present time in our life, and our history, and this present suffering, after all of this, we are going to come face to face. And we are going to see an all-satisfying, overwhelming, all-powerful beauty that is the glory of Jesus Christ. I wonder, does that land on you as good news today? <laughs> Do you hear that and say, okay, yes, it is absolutely worth dealing with what I'm dealing with right now? Think about it. Think about how we act and we respond to things. We, we pursue majesty and awe and glory in going to the mountains and going to the ocean and, and traveling the world to, to witness creation. And that's awesome. But we also do it personally. In our, we pursue greatness in people. If LeBron James walked into this room right now, we'd all be freaking out a little bit, wouldn't we? Um, I know Tim Fritzen would. He's in here. Um, but we pursue greatness in professional athletes. We pursue greatness in highly intellectual people. We pursue greatness in whatever. And the reality is, that none of those things, no physical beauty on this earth today, no greatness in any individual that walked into this room compares to the greatness and glory that is Jesus Christ that's going to be revealed to us. So the first promise that we hang on to is that, namely glory, glory of Jesus Christ revealed to you. The second promise is that God will reveal our glory what do I mean by God will reveal our glory? Thomas Schreiner says this about this passage. He says, we should note that creation, even though it's the subject of these verses, does not constitute the center stage of Paul's vision. What creation longs for and waits for is the eschatological unveiling of the children of God. The focus is on not on, finally, the transformation of the created world, although that is included, but the future redemption that awaits God's children. What is creation created to do? 
Psalm 119 tells us it is to create it to declare the glory of God. There will be a time when Christ returns and God's children and, and dwell with God's children. And the glory of God will be revealed. God will dwell with his children and his family. Here's some homework today. Go home. Pull, go to the back of your Bible, Revelation 21, and read the first five verses. It is incredible to think about the picture that is to come. Friends, remember that our glory that he is producing within us right now far outweighs whatever suffering we are enduring right now. The third is that God will fulfill our hope. Um, we've already talked about this, but the hope in which we know is a certainty. Um, we know what comes with it. That in Christ Jesus, we are justified, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are loved, and we are adopted. So understand this about your suffering. God is never punitive within whatever comes into your life. It, God is only purifying. God is never punitive. He is only purifying. So whether it's death and suffering, those things become purifying passageways, here we go, unto glory. And that's the hope that we wait for. Future glory allows you and I to have the perspective and the focus that enables us to endure present suffering, enables us to engage in present suffering, and enables us to bless others in the midst of their suffering. Because we know our security, who we are in Christ. The fourth one is that creation will be gloriously freed. And this one has been hard to wrap my mind around. Um, not just the children of God, but all creation will be freed from this misery. God's focus is, yes, on his children. And the creation is going to come into that freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's a staggering thought, isn't it? Think about the awe and the majesty that we have at the Grand Canyon or the Rocky Mountains or whatever ocean. We will be able to enjoy all of that all the time. And the crazy thing is, it, creation, will be able to enjoy you and I. Hard to wrap my mind around that. Um, fifth promise is uh, present sufferings are only birth pains. And I, I got to be honest with you, I've been working on this message for nine or ten days, and this truth, this one point has absolutely wrecked me. I have found myself weeping in my office a couple of times. I'm sure some of the staff members were a little concerned about what was going on in TA's office. But I was just floored by God's faithfulness and goodness. And the reason I was so emotional over it is that God reminded me of you. He reminded me of the amazing faithfulness in the midst of your suffering. The, thinking about the people that we hugged and we were simply present with that we didn't know what to say or what to do. But to watch God redeem and restore people, to see marriages saved, to see 
victory over addictions, to see lives and health restored. And I thought of the people that it didn't go the way that we thought it would. Those who ended in divorce. Those who lost their lives to cancer. Those who um, literally, we had no idea what was going to happen. And, you know, the, the wife who didn't want a divorce but ended up divorced and broken and hurting and to see her standing faithfully renewed and restored by God's goodness and faithfulness, it is incredible. And I just sat and said, thank you. And I thought about other people who are they're in the midst of it. They, they have no idea what God is about to do. They're trying to trust in the uncertainty. And we are putting an arm around them and just trying to ride the wave with them. But trusting in the Lord. You see, Paul says that our sufferings and the mystery of this world, they're not death throes. They're birth pains. Paul looks at our world, at the volcanoes and the earthquakes and cancer and death and groaning and screaming and pain all around him, and he says it's like a mother in labor. As a pastor, we wander the halls of hospitals a lot. And I can tell you one thing for certain, that the cries and the screams from the oncology wing are far different and distinctly different from the cries and screams in the maternity wing. You know, pain is pain in both of those situations. But every mom and every dying cancer patient can tell you that, and they know that pain is not just pain. There is pain that brings life, and there is pain that issues in death. Paul is looking at this whole world, and he is looking at the suffering of believers, and he says, it's birth pains. I see birth pains, and it is beautiful in the midst of your suffering, knowing what is to come, knowing the good and the beauty that will be brought to life through this. He says, it's like a mother in labor. I want you to hear me. Whatever's going on in your life, God is going somewhere with it. God is going to bring a new heavens and a new earth. We know that from the word of God. And this present suffering will come to an end. And he says, it's going to be like a mother in labor. It'll bring new life. All of your suffering, including what could be your death, are birth pains. Your suffering has purpose. Your pain leads right into life. The sixth promise I want you guys to see is that our bodies are going to be redeemed. God cares about you. It may feel otherwise when pain and suffering are intense in your life. But God is faithful, and Paul testifies to that in verse 23. He says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit of the first fruits, as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. 
hug on solid ground, on the foundational truth that we are adopted sons of God. Those first fruits, they're the Holy Spirit's presence in your life in the midst of that suffering. And we know because of that that one day we will be redeemed. I want to close with just three applications, three things that uh, I want to encourage you with. When suffering invades your life, first and foremost, pray. I believe wholeheartedly in God's sovereignty, and I believe wholeheartedly in the power of prayer. I don't know how I would find meaning meaning in some of the things that I've witnessed and some of the tragedies that have taken place in my own life if I didn't believe that God had purpose within it. Prayer, well, let me say this first. Don't hear me say God's sovereignty and just jump to the extreme of, well, God is sovereign. I guess you just got to deal with it. That's not at all what I mean by that. Jesus comes to us and says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Prayer changes our hearts. Prayer encourages the hearts of those that are hurting around you. So trust God. Lean into his word in those moments. I believe God's sovereignty motivates bold prayers. The second encouragement is keep your eyes on the cross. I spent our time today uh, talking about suffering and trying to see it as God sees it. But I'm definitely imperfect in my teaching of it. There are things that you know about suffering that I don't. Um, There are things that you may understand about suffering that I don't. There may be things that you you haven't really had to experience suffering in the way some others here have. But through all that, can can we not agree that God took it on? God took it on, didn't he? And that is the meaning of the cross. That's the meaning of the lashes, the pulling of his beard, the spitting in his face, the spearing in his side, the laughter, the mockery, the meaning of all of it. Jesus suffered far more than we will ever suffer. The meaning of all of that is for him to look at you and say, I love you. I understand. God's not a, Jesus is not a high priest that can't sympathize with your weakness. That's the point, that right there in the midst of whatever's going on in life, in the midst of that suffering, keep your eyes fixed on the redemptive work of Jesus. Because right there is where sovereignty and suffering meet like nowhere else. The cross of Christ redeems all suffering. And the last encouragement I have is know this truth, that God breaks us to prepare us. When God is getting ready to move, to do great things, the reality is he breaks people. Think about Gideon for just a second. Gideon had 10,000 soldiers to go up against his enemy. And God comes to him and says, oh, too many, too many. These guys aren't faithful enough. And he whittles that army down to 300. In the midst of our suffering, it is often very hard for us to believe this truth, that God is looking at you and saying, I have a great work to do here. But God says, you know what? I'm going to use broken people to do it. I'm going to use you. 
over and over in my own life, I've experienced this, that God breaks us to prepare us. And I want to say this one last time. The way that you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about your future. We also, in hope, we were saved, and we eagerly wait with patience for our adoption. We're going to close um, our time in worship and in prayer. Wherever you are at, friends, today, do you need a hug? We're here to do that. We will hug and we will pray with you. and We want you to come forward. If, if that's uncomfortable for you, turn to somebody by you and just say, would you pray for me? Let the body of Christ be present with you. Don't stay silent. The worship team is going to introduce and lead us in a new song. And that song is called Do It Again. And I just, I want this to be our declaration this morning. As we close in worship, that's the second verse of this song says, I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praises again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed. And you know what? He never will. So let's, let's, let's sing. Let's worship. If you want prayer, I'll be back over here in the corner.